What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, Israel Adesanya's coach said something interesting about Robert Whitaker and Francis Ngannou versus John Jones isn't dead yet. Plus, a legend's time in the UFC is over, but first, let's begin with what we saw last weekend. I should probably get used to saying the name Jury Prohaska because I feel like this guy is going to be a huge problem. Problem is actually the word that Clayton Hires called him. Clayton sent me a text. Are you watching this guy? This guy's a problem. It's a great word. It's a great word. And Bisping was breaking down this fight live. But one of the things that Bisping isolated and talked about was that Yuri only has bad intentions. There's heat on everything. I can remember when Boss Rutten used to shadow box, but every time Boss would shadow box, it was every, there was never this. Never just feeling for a job. Oh, there's the two. Come in, get warmed up a little bit. Everything, it was violent. And I even asked him about it. I said, hey, these clips I see of you shadow box, do you ever shadow box at a different pace? How come, it, how come it's so violent? He said, no, that's how I shadow box. And I started doing it myself. I took it with me. But I bring that to you because it was an interesting thing, at least for me, when Bisping was able to identify that. And Bisping is right. This guy's got bad intentions. He'll punch in. He'll kick you in the leg and hope your face breaks. Like, hurt everything. This guy just come out and hurt everything. Keeping up with Dominic Reyes is very difficult to do. Dominic Reyes should not be judged in any other way than as one of the most courageous 205-pounders that goes out and takes the most courageous 205-pound fights. To watch what's happened to Reyes, to watch this slide since the night that he had this wonderful performance over John Jones. I don't know, and it's very common in sport. It's very common in sport when something goes so great, boom, you come down. You look back to that night. You tell people about that night. You don't use that night as a springboard into something else. You use it as a real height and you come down. There's not a lot that you can do. It's easy to sit back on the outside and observe when this is happening, but there's not a lot that the athlete can do. He can't control his highs and his lows. He can just, can I, am I going to practice? Am I working hard? Am I listening to the right people? You check those boxes, your career is your career. If you're not checking one of those boxes, okay, great, go in and fix this. But if you are, I only suggest that to you because I'm not seeing anything bad out of Dominic Reyes at all. Dominic Reyes, for me, looks just as good now as he did the night that he fought Jones. I get that the performances are different. Some of them are even shorter, but he's still dancing with the one that brought him. He's going out, he's trading heat with the Blahoviches and the Yuri Prokayevs of the world. And he's doing well. It turned out they also do it very well. But we're, we're starting to identify who the best guys on earth are. Right? When you're in a five-round main event on Saturday night, aired on ESPN, you're figuring out who the baddest dudes on earth are. Reyes is a top five guy from what we've seen. I say that because Reyes is now in a tough spot. He's in a very tough spot personally of why was I the best fighter in the world this night over the more difficult of the opponents and I'm not seeing the second round this night and this night. It's just one of those, those things. It's, it's a mental drill that Reyes is in right now, not physical. Mentally, he's got to believe in the process. He's got to stay the course. Reyes is looking very good. The problem we're seeing, we don't know how good Blahovich is. 
Did you guys think Lahovich was going to beat Adesanya? Because if you did and you put a little bit of money on it, you got three times that money right now. We didn't know. We didn't know how good Prokayev is. And I'm familiar with Yuri because I'm good friends with King Mo. King Mo fought him twice. They split. Mo TKO'd him. Mo got TKO'd. It was one of these things. And that was years ago. It was over an organization called uh, Ryzen. But I remember seeing that name. I remember watching that fight. And there's plenty of Ryzen's that I've missed, but I didn't miss any that King Mo was on. I supported his career, every single one of his matches. But I bring it to you because I remember seeing Prokryev back then, and to use Clayton's words, he's a problem. He was, he's, he's abnormally tall for the weight class, which is an advantage that Reyes always has, just by example. But just height and reach alone, you start to cross each other out. It took something away from Dominic that Dominic usually has. I'm into the gimmick, the hair's weird, but it, that stuff works. That stuff works. Having this open attitude, I thought he cut a great interview after where he looks like a super scary guy, but he speaks like a, a pretty friendly guy. Anytime you have that kind of yin and yang, it just works. Mike Tyson having the world's biggest gal, but then, but then having a voice, but it works. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. There's something compelling. There's something going on here. There's something to watch for. And I think that Ryan, help me out. Prokryev? Prohaska. Yuri or Jury? We're going to have to find that one out. Prohaska. And I'm not trying to be condescending or make a joke. I'm being serious. Tough name. Names matter. Otherwise, we'd all just walk around and call each other Walter. And I think Prohaska. I mean, I know when he comes back, he comes back in a main event. Question is against who? Is he already ready for a championship fight? It's one of those things. And then why is 205 so good right now? What happened? I mean, was it just this was going to happen anyway, or did these guys get a real shot in the ass when John Jones left? There's athletes when they're as good as John Jones where you just throw your hands up and go, Coach, we're training for second. And you know it. You wake up every day not having the same goal or the same dream as other people. You're just not going to get through this guy. But it does appear the moment that John left, ooh, these guys started to see opportunity. They started to flourish. Does one have to do with the other? I don't know. Timeline-wise, I'm right. Was it going to happen anyway? Was it going to happen natural? John's matches were getting a lot closer. I understand all of those things. I'm just choosing to compliment 205 pounds right now because, I mean, this is scary. This is It was two years ago or less, guys, when we were doing the Weidman experiment, when we were doing the Luke Rockhold experiment just to get a name up there. To get a name at 205 pounds, these guys are going to walk right into feature co-main event and main event fights. That wasn't even a question. They go get one win. For either one of those guys, they get one win. They're fighting for the belt. Now 205 pounds? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And Glover's going to be right there, too. I mean, not for nothing. I realize we're looking at a lot of these new names. I'm not sure one of these old names isn't going to be the king of the mountain soon. That's between these guys to figure out. But 205 pounds... Prokryev? Is it Prokryev? Prohaska. Prohaska. Remember that name, Prohaska. I'll remind you. Okay, so Yuri Prokaska is clearly a star in the making in a division that lost a bigger star, John Jones. And speaking of John Jones, I heard something interesting about him yesterday, and I want to share it with you.
as we're watching this mess happen, you do have to sit back and wonder, because I just heard Daniel Cormier specifically, but was weighing in on how much John should be paid for that fight. Now, I would have very much loved to have heard that analysis from Daniel if he explained how he got to that number. He said something along the lines that he, uh, John should not get Connor money, but he didn't say why not, and he also didn't tell us what Connor money is. He did, he did say he should get $10 million. He didn't say how we got to that number. And that's the part that I'm curious about. And a lot of people that are talking about this, from even from a lazy outside perspective, could be you, have said the words, this is a massive fight. Well, if this is a massive fight, that's the one piece of this negotiation that we've already given consideration to. The it's a massive fight clause is already built in. That's what's known as the pay-per-view points, where you are going to be given... Without having to buy in, you are going to be given a piece of one night of business to a multi-billion dollar company. I have no idea why this started or how this started. I have no idea why anybody would be... Mark Wahlberg has to buy in. Dwayne Johnson has to write a check to buy in, to own a piece of the business. Guys are going to be given it. It is incredibly generous, but make no mistake, the massive fight part is already given consideration. So now we're talking about the other end, the show part. And when a guy starts demanding a very big show, it would lead you to think he doesn't believe it's going to be a massive back end. There's similar things you have to listen to in a negotiation. When a guy comes in and it's all moonlight and canoes, but he needs a signing bonus today. He's telling you something. There's something, and you need to listen, and you need to watch and try to figure out what this is for. And the way these contracts work, they aren't a one-off. Could you imagine? Could you imagine every big time, every time you wanted to put on a fight, you have to have a meeting, you have to have a flying, you have to have a sit-down, you have to talk to both parties. I mean, this is insane. Canelo Alvarez, by example, has an upcoming fight scheduled that may not happen because of a dispute between the two camps over the size of the ring. There are things that happen in boxing that are so silly and ridiculous for us. Not an insult to boxing. They get to do that however they want. But you also see as boxing fans that you don't get fed very often. Two times a year, you get a product that you really want to see, that you'll have people come over and you'll order the pizza and, and pour the soda pop for, right? I mean, in all fair, two times a year, is that a good guess? A lot of years, it's only one. Well, the reason is it's, it moves so goddamn slow. You can't get anything done. And I only bring you that example because I, I assure you I have a point in it is this. The one time you got to sit down with a guy, you need to buy yourself some time. Th this is good for five fights. Don't come see me again. This is good for three years. Do not come see me again. Because you will stop this industry from moving forward if we have to meet about meeting and talk about talking every time there is to do a show. Stay with me because the point here is you've got to get it right this one time. So Dana, who by example, if he could come in on one night and go, look, I agree with you guys. I see where this could be something special. But John, if you end up the champion, I need you to come back and defend. Yeah, no problem. Of course. Well, okay. But you understand if the next fight isn't as special, I've got to bring this down. I have to bring it down. Well, that's not built into the contract. 
There's escalation clauses, there's de-escalation clauses, but there's not that. If you win and you become champion, he's going to go, look, I showed up as a challenger, now I'm the champion. Pay me triple. I mean, right? It's one of these things where whatever it is, we got to get it figured out today and not talk about it for a meaningful period of time so that I can then talk to all of the other 556 guys I have and make sure I'm producing a show every single Saturday, which is what I've been hired to do. So there's really no way to sit down and do that contract. Hey, John, you need 10 for Francis. Boom, let's get you your 10 for Francis. You want that up front, so I'm going to shave a little bit off the back. And well, no, I want both. Oh, you want everything. You know what? To hell with it. Let's just do it. Your next fight, though, I'm going to give you two. No matter who it is, you can assess the division, whether you're in there with Derek or you're in there with Stipe or you're in there with Curtis. It's, it's going to be just a fine night, but it's not going to be massive, which is what we're all talking about here. The contracts just don't get done that way. They can't. I'm explaining to you why they can't get done that way. You just want to have time. Our entire justice system, people, is built around deal-making. Because there's so many people that have got to come through those courts and through those rooms, it would come to an absolute standstill if all of them took an eight-day, 12-person uh, jury trial. It's, it's based around deal-making. I offer that example to you because it's one that you'll go, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So is this business. We've got to be able to come in one time, get all the numbers worked out, and go. And the only person here who could be left holding a bag in that is the one signing it, who somehow keeps looking like the jerk. The only risk taker in the whole room who has to make sure that he can put out a product good enough to cover the spread that he already agreed to is the guy that keeps coming out of the story looking like a jerk. That doesn't make any level of sense. Daniel says that John should get $10 million. I what are you basing that on? What is that based on? And Daniel had made another good point just with his own experience with John. He goes, look, I fought the guy a number of times. But after the fight, something happened. One of the fights, he got stripped. He beat me, leaves with the belt. They have to strip him because of the drug charge. You know, what happens if that happens here? Dana comes in, he locks him up, he makes him a big guarantee. If we can't use history as the greatest trajectory to the future, we're simply not critical thinkers. So I would be very curious how anybody got to the number of 10 million. I would still like to hear that. Do we have a venue that's opening up in a municipality that we haven't identified yet? That loves the UFC so much, we know we're going to sell tickets out at an abundant price. Just by example, there's a few ways to skin the cat in this business, but there's only a few ways. Which one of those ways do you believe is going to be triggered by all of this to go up X amount to cover the $10 million? And you may be able to work something out. Show me where it's 20. Show me where it's 25. I don't have any problem with that. I don't know what the number is, but neither do you. So before somebody comes out and starts throwing out, well, it really should be this. What are you basing that on? Based on what? And you couldn't base it on any previous performance John has had. He's just not a big draw. And then you're also left with the fact that he didn't fight last year, which was the single greatest year of business that the UFC ever had, which we know to be true because the company has now gone public and they said it. Saying it before you go public is totally different than saying after you went public. They said it after they went public. John Jones did not fight. So now we know that he's not needed. And the new guy from out of town, the fresh face wearing the white shirt, who everybody's most interested in, is named Prokoskov. Prokayev, Prohaskev, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He is one win away from being a star. 
Hazmat Chemayev right now is a big deal. He is one win away from being a massive star. And as much as people do cling to and like, and there's a nostalgia with some of their veterans, they're more looking for who's next. Who's the big guy? Who's coming through? Who is next? And if that chamber's empty and you're the decision maker, you've got to factor that into your equation and into your offer. But when that chamber is full, when you just did a year, by the way, your best year without the guy who's telling you he needs the biggest paycheck in the history of time, do you see, do you see where this gets silly? And now you've lost his respect. And if you lose his respect, it really doesn't matter how much you're worth. It's a very big different number on what you're going to get. If you negotiate with somebody and he, anything happens, anything gets said, anything goes off, and he now doesn't respect you, that negotiation is going to look very, very different. I feel as though Daniel, knowing privately what he was paid, is able to look at John and come to that number of $10 million. So I don't think that J uh, Daniel was just shooting blind here. I think Daniel undersold himself in that Dana respected him. Daniel's never done anything wrong. Daniel's the nicest guy you're going to be around. Daniel shows up on time, every time. Prepare. I mean, you would respect Daniel Cormier. In whatever free time he has, he coaches children. I mean, he's one of these guys that you only read about. He's like a mythical character. So he was treated in a certain way because of that, and I'm not sure that he knows it. I think he undersells himself a little bit. I think he, Daniel sometimes gets lost in the sauce that this is about wins and losses, and I took two L's to John. I know what I got, and so John should get a little bit more than me. I, you're losing the respect factor. You're losing who shows up to work more often. You're losing who, when their phone rings, answers their phone. You're missing who's in headlines for positivity and who's in headlines with their arms behind their back. These things all get factored in to some degree. So I'd be very curious, what would you guys do if you were in this spot? This whole massive fight business, and don't forget this, the massive, the massive part of the argument is the one part that's already agreed on. You're going to get points. If this thing's massive, you're going to just keep getting a bigger check with no ceiling. We can't even relate to that, guys. How are you pushing back on this? No matter how well you do at work today or tomorrow, you're capped somewhere, Yes. Even if you're in the sales business, you meet every bonus trucker. At some point, there is a cap, yes? In the pay-per-view structure, there is absolutely no cap. Your back-end money will be directly reflected to how massive the fight... So that's the part that we agree on. But it's the part that everybody keeps on making the argument about. And like any great magician, you're always... Look at this hand so you don't see what this hand is doing. Everybody that is driving us in the direction that this is going to be a massive fight and therefore is trying to distract you from the other side of it. And you are left with, I got this guy named Prokoska who's one fight away from being a star. How about I focus on getting him that fight and making him that star? I got this guy named Hazmat Chemayev. I got this guy named... Usman, I got this guy. I mean, right, you see, you see where this starts being one of these things. Well, who do you really need? And why would you acquiesce to a threat? Coming up in a moment, I'm going to talk about a guy that you all know John Jones can't stand. But first, 
a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Say it with me, guys. Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of erectile dysfunction. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visit to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problem here. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence, when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code CHAIL at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code CHAIL to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this program. Eugene Berryman. I believe he is the defending reigning coach of the year from the World MMA Awards, but he's the coach of Volkanovski, of the Hangman, of Izzy, and he's got eight other guys all signed to a contract. I mean, very special, very rare talent to have this much success and this quickly. I must tell you, this guy came out of nowhere, at least for me. Hard to question him. When he has sitting reigning champions and he's the defending coach of the year, he came out, he did an interview, it caught my eye. He was talking about Robert Whitaker and Coach Berriman's assessment. He maintains that Whitaker, because he said no to the opportunity, goes to the back of the line. We're going to go with Vittori and then we'll see who's next. But next isn't going to be him. He gets to go back at the end of the line. I was looking this over with my partner, Ryan, and Ryan goes, but Chael, have you ever seen, I mean, are, are we, we're finding out contenders because a trainer says so? Have you ever seen anything like this? And I said, well, no, now that you asked me in those terms, no, I have not. And he said, well, at what point does the trainer get to say? Well, that part I can answer. The trainer and the team and the manager and even the fighter himself, as much courage as he has, bang your chest, do what Izzy Adesanya does, step up to any challenge anytime you want. You have guys you don't want to fight. You will fight them. You will respect the sport, you will respect the rankings, you will expect their hard work and give them the opportunity, but you don't want to fight them. So anytime you come out and say, because don't forget who we all want to fight. We want to fight the easiest guy for the biggest paycheck. And I think that Coach Behrman makes a level fair point. Now the point isn't you stumble in the rankings and you go down. It comes from we were willing to do it. We didn't want to do it but we're going to do it because you're the former champion and you've put some good matches here. We owe it to you. But we don't want to do it. 
So if, if you're going to say no, and we said yes, we put our foot in the sand, and you did not show up, we're going somewhere else, which is what we've wanted to do anyway. It's hard for me to imagine that there's any other reason that Coach Behrman would be saying that Whitaker's got to go back in the pile. And, and it's also tough to put him too far down that pile, right? Because you could draw that pile of 185-pounders, but you're not going to find more than one or two that haven't been beaten by Robert Whitaker. It's one of those, it's very tough to slide him too far down. And I do, I do think that those things that are said are very interesting. I caught one with Malky last week, and Malky was talking about George Masvidal, one of his clients. And Malky said in the interview, George is up for anything as long as it makes sense. Could you imagine having to work with that attitude? If it makes, makes sense to who? We now have to hear your opinion? Your opinion. If you get a phone call, right? If you're Masvidal's team and you get a phone call because the decision maker on the second floor of the UFC has decided they want to put a match together, that means it makes sense. They have decided that it makes sense. They have thought it over. They've calculated and computed and it makes sense. You get a phone call and you say no. You don't get to come and say no because that doesn't make sense. Makes sense to who? Why would you have a say in it? Why would you have any feeling in it? And if you had a feeling, you would have offered it right then. That's the other, that's the other side of this coin where these, these attitudes are very unhelpful and it's very hard to get things done. If you would have had a better idea of something that you think makes sense, you would have said it right then. You wouldn't say, oh yeah, they'll call and we'll take anything as long as it makes sense. No, you would have said right then. I think that they should call and I really think that they should. Uh, the winner of Leon and, and Nate, that's the one that we're looking at. Nate and George got a history. Leon and George have been waiting to settle unfinished business. We're going to take a real good look at that. I suspect that's the direction that when we receive a phone call, they will be going in. If you had any level of idea, you want to say it makes sense, right? This is my big problem. That is not helpful. Makes sense to who? And if the author of the statement, why would we care what he thinks? What's he going to bring to the table? What check is he going to write? What hard work is he going to do? I mean, you see where the problem comes in. You want to go out and you want to, you, you want to try to say those interesting things. Why would you miss the opportunity to steer the narrative right then and say what it is you think that makes sense? And I'll answer the question because you haven't thought about it. You don't have the foggiest idea what you're doing. So it's something that you just say, stick my friend. I don't have an idea. That would have been another way that he could have said it. So I just talked about Izzy Adesanya, who's clearly one of the best pound for pound fighters on the planet. But the guy who might be even better than him, Kamara Usman. And he's in the news again this week. Usman and Ali, it was an interview where you're getting a little bit quotes from both of them. But Usman has told Ali, and Ali came out and told us, that Usman wants a quick turnaround. Now, I have to start with that. Because if you guys didn't read this, and where you left off with Usman, was in the cage... On the pay-per-view as they faded to black and rolled the credits, last thing Usman said is, want some time off. He has now changed that. Very common. Very, very common for a guy in that moment to run it back and correct it a couple of days later. Whatever it could be. A call out in the wrong direction or calling for time off in the wrong direction and realizing, man, I feel great. Next morning, you get up, I feel great. By the way, I'm close to weight and I'm in shape. Let's get back in there. So Usman started over. He wants back in there.
how quick can you get Usman and Colby together? Well, Ali told Usman, look, you've already defended twice this year. It's going to be a hard fight either way. But instead of Colby, why don't we take a look at Kiesa? Kiesa's ranked number seven. He's coming off of two wins, both main event fights, which shows you he's a main event fighter, not to mention championship round guy. Okay, Kiesa, look, Kiesa's not a bad pick at all. It would surprise me if Kiesa went in for a world title right now as the number seven guy. I would be surprised. That doesn't mean that's not a bad pick. And the thing that I liked about this and I'll be devastated if it's not Colby, by the way. But the thing that I liked about this is when Ali offered interference into the plan of Colby and Kamara, he offered another suggestion. So he comes out, says, we want to do it. We want to turn this around quickly. We want to correct that statement. And we want to do it with this guy. Now, I only bring that to you because how many times have we seen him? Mean, we saw Masvidal's manager days ago come out and say, Masvidal will do something if it makes sense. Hard stop and didn't tell us what that was. Right, so now you're playing a game of cat and mouse. And you're playing it with a guy whose position in the industry really... It doesn't matter if he's in it or he's not. It's one of those things. But now we have to wonder what sense means. Ali did the exact same thing, except he made an offering. He offered his suggestion. It was a very good move. As a manager, that was a very good and wise, and not to mention helpful move. Just to hear what you don't want to do, you must offer what you do want to do. So that's what this was. Now I got to tell you, as I, if I look at 2021, I believe for you full-heartedly, regardless of all the changes, all the nuances, all the things that we're going to see and learn that haven't even been re revealed to us yet, even in face of mystery, I still believe Usman versus Covington is the biggest fight of 2021. I believe when that fight comes, and I'm not trying to argue for you guys that right now of any fight you can see that that's the one. I'm telling you, it's a big one right now, but by the time that fight, by the time the music hits those speakers, that will go down, and I don't think anybody will touch its numbers. Usman versus Covington is the hardest fight it was the dirtiest fight, and it was the closest fight I had ever seen. Particularly amongst two guys who both were positive they could beat the other one. And the best fights are where there's no doubt, where both guys are sure. They're sure of it. I'm, be, I'm getting victory tonight. They trust in themselves. Whatever I have to walk through. However sharp that glass or hot those flames, I'm going through it. And that's what you have in these guys, and they haven't changed. They also have a very interesting part of the story, which is they both are at new camps now. What do we make of that? And how do they look at these new camps? So if we go back and look at Usman versus Masvidal for his most recent work, or Covington versus T. Wood for his most recent piece of work. They look damn good is what they look. They look like different fighters. So now you're telling me the closest, hardest, dirtiest fight that I've ever seen is going to happen again, except both guys are now better. So it's going to be dirtier, uh, closer. It's, it's one of these things that's just very hard for me to turn away from as a viewer. And knowing that these stories haven't been told yet, but once the fight is signed and those stories start to come out, I think it's the biggest fight of 2021. I'd hedge my bet right there. I can't see anything coming in. Two guys that understand promotion that genuinely do not like each other. Huge fights based around grudge. Grudge is very hard. 
Most guys don't have them. Why would you want to have a grudge? How would you like to go to work and one of your coworkers is, is, is your nemesis? How fun would that be? I mean, grudges don't really exist. And if they do, most people are civil and they hide it. Talk about the guy behind his back like a gentleman. No, these two? Uh-uh. Big problem. It's a big problem. And I think if we do get to see that fight, and I don't know how much Ali believes that Kiesa can replace Covington. I think that Ali, who also has a grudge, is having a little fun. I think he's making him sweat a little bit. You guys will remember when Stipe did this to Daniel? I loved it when Stipe did it to Daniel. But the reason I loved it is I had to remind Daniel, hey, before you get too worked up here, you did it to him. He's remembering and paying you back. He's going to do the fight. I assure Daniel, he's going to do the fight. But he's paying you back from when you strung him along, when you made him think you wanted to go in another direction, when he believed he was the rightful one to get that opportunity, but you were trying to bring in Brock Lesnar. He's paying you back. You're getting a receipt. I think in many ways, Ali is giving a receipt. And I don't believe that Usman is going to back down from anybody, not to mention... He did put some kind of a time frame in this, which is very relevant. Usman put some kind of, I would like to fight Michael Chiesa at UFC 264. Something like this. I don't know the number. But the point is, he did include a date. So now we know, now it's not a matter of calling Usman and say, hey, can you be ready for Covington? He's already said when he can be ready. Got to figure out who that opponent is. I'm not losing sight of this in the least. I'm quite sure I know who that opponent is going to be. I, I for damn sure know who that opponent should be. But I also got to give credit to the way Usman played this. Here we are, building hype, talking narrative, getting headlines, because his manager was smart enough to not just say no and lay out. It was no comma and made an offering of Kiesa. Now, before I go, I wanted to talk about Diego Sanchez and his mysterious release from the UFC, which I think a lot of you still aren't quite understanding. Joshua, Diego's coach. I've heard many people call him a guru. I don't know. I came from gym. Sometimes they were called professors. Sometimes they were called senseis. I called everybody coach. I don't know if guru is the word that he uses or if that, that is meant as an insult. And it would be very hard to know because everything that I've seen on Josh... It was like a Barry Josh session. And I got to share with you, I don't know him. But I know a lot of people that know him. Josh went to school here in Oregon. He grew up with the Henry boys, Sean Finnecum, Jeremy Wilson. I was teammates with all these guys. I've known these guys 30 years. I've never met Joshua. I also didn't know Joshua even grew up in Oregon. I caught an interview that he was doing over the weekend. I started on one. You know how that works. You click on something. But then when that's done, it takes you to another one, and it takes you to another one. Before I knew it, I had done like an hour, 45 minutes to an hour on Joshua. But I found him to be a very interesting character. When he would speak, the confidence that he would have, particularly in some of the situations that he was in, where I don't know that many people would feel confident, face-to-face -face on the streets with Matt Sarah, by example, I don't know that a lot of people would have a big range of confidence. I found there was something very compelling about him. There really was the way that he spoke. And I came to a little different conclusion than most other people did. I thought he was an entertaining guy. And some of where he got a bad rap had to do 
with, is he qualified to be a trainer? And he answered that question. He was talking with Luke Thomas. And Luke said, well, let me just ask you plainly. If somebody said, what qualifications do you have to be a head corner man in the UFC? What would you say? And Joshua, a lot of people didn't like this answer. But I, I got it myself. He said, I didn't know there was qualifications. And then he went from there and he had a little bit of a hostile tone. I knew he, he realized he was on the defense. He realized he was doing an interview where he now needs to be defensive. I don't have a huge problem with that answer anywhere in this sport. Anywhere. I think Errol Hawani is as good of a guy as you're ever going to see on camera speaking about this sport. And I know that over times of his life, people have pushed back and said, well, what do you know? You've never done it. I don't know that I see it that way. But the best wrestling coach I've ever met is a man named Roy Pittman who's produced an Olympian or an Olympic alternate on every team since 1988, he never wrestled. Not one match. Was never trained in it. His greatest rival for success, another coach in this area that was having Division I All-Americans, having junior national champions, having world and Olympic team representatives, never wrestled. Just loved it, got immersed in it, understood communication with kids, understood motivation. Learn the basics of uh, position and technique. So I don't know how much my life buys into the idea that you had to do something to go out and do something else. I only bring that to you because I thought he got a little bit of a bad rap. And I thought he was interesting. I liked the whole thing. Did you see where he walked into the UFC room? I loved what Paul Felder said back. I, I fell down laughing. Joshua gives his entire speech and Felder looks up and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. It was, but it was just this funny moment. And then I could hear Megan in the background and Megan's going, hey, I'm not crazy about the idea that you're the one filming this, which I didn't know. If Megan hadn't revealed that, I wanted to known that. I assumed it was the UFC cameras. So there's this whole story unfolding. And I'm not sure that the story has a hero, but I'm not sure that it has a villain. I, I don't know enough. I called and talked to Diego just yesterday, Diego and Joshua. I sent Joshua a text message. He said, hey, I, I don't think this is Chael, so if you're really Chael, prove it. So I, I pushed the FaceTime. Well, they're in a car together. I'm talking to both of them. Had a real nice conversation. And I must tell you, I had a very nice conversation. Diego was doing great. Diego was happy. He was in good spirits. And I don't know where the world of MMA goes between Joshua and Diego. I would have to assume it goes nowhere. I don't believe that Diego is going to go get signed and go get picked up by somebody else. I think likely his time in MMA is done. There's a part of me that hopes it is. I've traveled the road with Diego. I've been on cards with Diego. I've spent a lot of time around Diego. He's a really nice guy. You guys would like him. He's a really nice guy. But he believes in some stuff that a lot of other guys don't believe in. Uh, energy, by example. Uh, meditation and the mental side and focus, by example. But Diego's also reached a level of success that many other guys haven't. So I don't submit for you or suggest for you that that's wrong or even abnormal. It's just not what most guys are doing. So what? I don't I don't see where the insult is. And I, if Diego and Joshua aren't going to do MMA anymore, just by example, then I don't know what the big deal is that we come in and break these two up. Look, it didn't work for the organization. Dan Hardy was in a, a very similar situation where he had spoke to a commentator team or something like this, but it wasn't in a polite way. 
I mean, Dana's very consistent. He looks after he looks after his own. You come in, you're, you're working with my people. There's a way that you're going to behave, and if you make them uncomfortable, I can't bring you back in that situation. That's very consistent, Dana White. This wasn't something personal against Diego, and I don't know how much I believe that it was personal against Joshua. Joshua's looking at it. He was kind of new to his space. He gets wrapped up, and now he's with he's with one of the top fighters in marquee spots, and he wants to defend his guy. What part about that is bad? If Joshua's such a rotten con man, how do you guys know that he doesn't have credentials in MMA? Do you see where those, it doesn't work together? If he's a rotten con man that doesn't have credentials, you wouldn't know it because he would have conned you and lied and said that he did. We only know that he doesn't have credentials because he told the truth, which is not what a con man does. I think he's getting a bad rap. How do you like that? I think he's getting a bad rap. Is that because it turns out that, that he grew up 40 miles from me and we, we have some of the same friends? Maybe. Maybe it does. I'm not acting like he's Mr. Innocent in his whole thing. He came into the room. He documented. He put it on video. There's just some stuff that you just don't do. There are some private moments. There's not, not saying dusted under the rug and nothing happened here. But I don't think villainizing a guy who's working hard, putting a lot of time in, and is publicly defending his athlete, I don't know. I'm 45 minutes into the guy. I got to tell you. And maybe I saw 45 minutes of the wrong videos. But my opinion and my interpretation, I can't. I don't come with the, the same vitriol that many others do. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening and for continuing to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts like this one from Joey who says, Uncle Chael, it's as good as it gets. Well, thank you, Joey. And thanks to all of you. We will be back again on Friday. Until then, I am Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.